Hey, what's up? It's James. And teacher. We just want to tell you a few ways that you can support us. Financially. That's right. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash show. Inside the Patreon, you can find a few different packages. You got everything from like a dollar all the way up to $5,000. You know, like if you're business, you want to do some advertising, you want to be a guest on the show or something like that. But you know what? We appreciate any way you guys would like to support us. This is just another way of doing it. Or access the shop at lastreart.gallery. Check out the shop as I'm a teacher's original artwork, some stickers, and also other merch coming at you from some of the guests on our show. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace. You're listening to Paint the Town Podcast with your hosts. L.A. Street Art Gallery resident artist, teacher, and founder of L.A. Street Art Gallery, James Chen of... Oh, dude, um, you know, I guess our fifth year anniversary passed since we had our last podcast, right? Dude, happy anniversary, man. That's awesome. Five years. Five fucking years, bro. So uh, I did a little something, you know, um, to celebrate. You know, it's, uh, it's a little backwards, but that's how we get sometimes, you know? You don't want to be so easy to read. Sometimes you want to make people go, wait, wait a second, because that's how you stick in their mind. You know what I mean? So yeah. what we have here is, you know, a little sign. Oh, wow. Nice. Nice, man. I like that. I like that. That's beautiful. Wow, it's weird because when I'm looking at the monitor, it actually appears um, like it's, you know, done right, but it's actually backwards. Well, hold on. Hold so on. Everything... Is that an actual sign or is that, a, like I said, you kind of brought it. Is it a poster? I can't. Oh, wow. Okay. That's an actual metal sign. That, like one of those 101, 101 freeway signs, I feel like. <laughs> yes, brother. I just happened to find it sitting on the side of the road. Nice. Actually, I did find it sitting on the side of the road. It was at the um, entrance ramp to the 101, right where um, Temple Street uh, comes off the 101. You get them off to get it on Temple in downtown LA. I was going down there for jury duty. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I went in and said, look, I can't be here for this, you know? And then when I left, I remembered seeing this when I was driving in, you know, cause anytime I see it was a sign, it had this, you know, it had freeway entrance and South and one other thing on it. And it was on a, you know, a four by four wood, um, post and it had just, it looked like someone may have nailed it and it was just sitting right on the ground. Nice. And so I made a mental, made a mental note. And so on my way back out, um, I pulled up on the sidewalk and <laughs> got my little orange vest out, put my orange vest on, walked right over there like I, you know, worked there, grabbed it, threw it in the back of the truck, hopped in the truck, pulled off of the sidewalk and went on. <laughs> now, the funny part about this is... I don't know, just a little ways down the street, I noticed this guy was kind of trying to pull up next to me and get my attention. And, you know, at first I kind of ignored him, but then he was, he was pretty persistent. And so I finally, you know, I look over, you know, he's like, roll your window down. So I rolled the window down. I was, hey, uh, do, you, do you work for the city? And I said, no. 
and smiled because he saw me get the sign and I could just kind of tell by looking at him that he was probably thinking what I was thinking when I saw it, you know, like, dude, I want to grab that and do some artwork on it, you know? And I'm sure he was thinking, no, you know, that's this old guy here, you know, probably works for the, for the city. No one's just had to pick up this sign. He's probably going to take it to the yard or something like that. Maybe I can grab it from him. But when I said no, and then smiled, he kind of got that look on his face. like, Oh, <laughs> so you think so you think he was a fellow street artist he definitely wasn't somebody that worked for the city right no he was not someone that worked for the city he was not any kind of a you know uh law you know enforcement officer or anything like that he looked like he could have been you know a fellow street artist or something like that and he was I probably see. thinking to himself son of a bitch i gotta get me an orange vest and park on the damn sidewalk put my hazards on <laughs> well when you have like like I said, over a decade of experience, man. Like you, you know what I mean. You know exactly how to how to do it without uh uh you know you know. I'm sure the first time you picked up a sign, you were like a little bit nervous and everything like that. Right? Oh, Maybe dude, the cold sweats or something like that. But like, yeah, and I, I had parked on the street, you know, and then I think uh, when I was walking back over, um, yeah, the, the, there was like a parking uh, person in a, in a parking car, like the parking enforcer or whatever, like that that, um, you know, he pulled over and was going to give me a, a ticket for parking there, you know? And I was like, oh, man, shit, fuck. <laughs> so I threw the sign in the back and was like, you know, sorry, just, you know, picking this stuff up you know, on, my, on my way home, you know, whatever. And, and oh, you know, the more but this time, you know, you if have. you just pull right up on the damn, on the sidewalk, you know, I just pulled right up on the sidewalk, you know, hazards on. Cop drove by. No, it was just one, just one cop drove by bunch of people other people drove by no one gave it a second thought you know there's yeah. this guy here's this old man walking over there to clean up a little bit you know throws it in the back of the truck like fuck man i gotta get this shit off the damn road you know god damn it yeah little did they know i was like yes look at that oh i got one two three separate pieces i can do from this yes nice man well like i said the more experience you have uh you know the less less nerves you have and today our today's guest uh, definitely has a lot of experience in uh, the music industry, and uh, I've been, you know, attending his class for a long time. So, uh, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and let him in, actually, because I wanted to get him on the show. Oh, sweet, he's here. Yep, dude, is early. I love this. I love this guy already, man. Put on your red shoes and dance the blue. Yo. Welcome, Hisham. How you doing? Sorry, we, we, that's our uh, that's our guest kind of entrance theme, man. Like you know, it's a theater of the mind. So uh, whenever we have a guest come in, we usually have the doorbell ring and then the David Bowie play. So uh, sorry if that surprised you a little bit. That's how fun I know. It was like, it was wait, that was, that's not me. That's not me. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a pleasant surprise. Surprise. Good evening. What up, you guys? How you feeling? Good, man. Good, man. Good. Now, you usually we uh you know admire the artwork in the background because usually we, when wherever we have a visual artist or a street artist on the show we have they have a something in the background but today we have a full-on music studio in the background right teach dude that's what i was just looking at i was in there going oh my god he's got like the a synthesizer i guess and, and like an actual piano he's yeah. got some things up on a shelf behind him the drums sort of. which i guess he you know, I, with I personally wouldn't really call it a full-on music studio as much as I would consider this just a writing room. Mm -hmm. uh, and lately, like a performance room, mainly because like 
I mean, this room isn't treated per se. Like I wouldn't really come in here and like use my studio. Like it, it's more like hybrid piano, like electronic MIDI stuff here, drum machines, electronic drum set. You know what I'm saying? Like I have an acoustic drum set elsewhere. I have an acoustic piano elsewhere where like the real recording stuff here. But no, if anything, yeah, guitars, bass, this is everything I need to just feel comfortable uh, I feel vulnerable, I guess you can say. And just right. I feel like that's like the main idea. Vibe, like, you know, records that I like. I got some pro wrestling stuff to the side that just, you know, just makes me feel very like the little boy that was. The little kid that like grew up in his own little bedroom and just kind of kept to himself and really honed in on his interests. I, I found that if I kind of recreate those circumstances that reminded me basically of being a little boy that kind of energy helps me with just playing. And I feel like my best music comes from just playing as opposed to a traditional sterile studio environment. But hey, that's just me. Did you say <laughs> professional wrestling? Poster? Hell yes, absolutely. Yeah, what, I, what part, uh, did you grow up in America? Yes, I did. What part of America did you grow up in? The Bay Area. Okay. Um, because I, you know, when I was growing up, I enjoyed the, uh, the, the professional wrestling. God, you remind me of somebody, I'll think of it in a minute, but yeah, I I grew up, you know, watching the, uh, you know, um, Hulk Hogan, um, Mr. Wrestling, um, and then in our area, I was I'm from Florida. I escaped though. Um, in that area, we had like Wildfire, Tommy Rich, and Rick Martel. You know, oh, yeah. were kind of big in that area, and um, you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes and all these yeah, guys. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I used to, you know I used to think it was real. But, uh, <laughs> we all did. <laughs> well, you know, I, I dude. Mean for me wrestling i when i was growing up i watched it too i mean i was dx all day okay that was like my people's degeneration x you know what i mean and uh i i remember when the, when the rock was a bad guy man like you, you know everybody booed the rock man so you know like i feel like that era uh you know with stone cold steve austin as well too that was kind of like my era although i grew up watching like people like the ultimate warrior and stuff like that now, I, we talked a little bit about wrestling before. Hasham, what was kind of your heyday, your your golden era? Or is it right now, I mean? All of them. I never really kind of stopped watching. You guys just described two very distinct eras. You know, I yeah, feel... you can tell that I'm older. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the one you described was what's considered the golden era. Golden in the sense of it was wrestling was no more popular than ever was then, like technically. It was truly mainstream. Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, the names you just mentioned. You know, they were everywhere. Plus, it was the 80s. You know, it was a, just a different era entirely. And then the area um, that James mentioned, uh, the era rather, was called, considered the Attitude Era. Late 90s, another boom period. Stone Cold Steve Austin, yes. The Rock, formerly known as Rocky Maivia, was a bad guy at one point. Um, that was also another, everyone was watching wrestling. I remember I was like really open about my wrestling love just before that boom period that James experienced. And I'll never forget, I was at a summer camp you know, I don't know, I must have been like 11, something like that. And the first year I was there, no joke, everyone made fun of me, except for one guy, except for one guy, <laughs> about my love for wrestling. One year later, it exploded. I was the dude. Like, yo, dude, you're <laughs> the guy. What <laughs> you know? well, nice. uh, I'm 54, um, and, and James here is almost 40. Oh, such a kid. Um, you don't have to give us your exact age, just so our listeners have an idea. I'm 35. Of, uh, that's that's my exact 35. Age. God, oh, you're so young, man. You look like you're like 25 or something. Or, or, well, except for the ball. Alexander Volkanovsky. Alexander Volkanovsky. Do you know who that is? No. He's a, he's a <laughs> he MMA. is the featherweight. He's the featherweight champion of the UFC. 
And if you spoke with a uh, an Australian accent, it would just yeah, you look a lot like yeah, him. So James. Watch, can you pull you, up? You watch um, real sports. I watch fake sports. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you you never, uh, Sean. You never um, like MMA. Really didn't ever interest you, basically, right? Uh, no, or, or no. Too like violent, that. frankly. I mean, the violent, reason I, okay. I love like wrestling, it's. It's core. Not only the, the beautiful thing about pro wrestling to me, and we're obviously getting on a whole tangent about combat sports and whatnot. First of all, pro wrestling and UFC, apples to oranges, they couldn't be any more different. Oh my God, that does kind of look like me. How funny. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, we just had a, just a real quick pull up. But uh, I guess the reason why I've always gravitated towards wrestling, number one, you know, like we talked about it earlier, the larger than life personalities. I mean, how can you not get into that? Obviously, number two, story. I need some context behind the fight. Uh, and number three, it's the illusion of violence, especially as I've gotten older. I've always appreciated that. It's it's two people, men or women, putting on what would seem to be a violent co competitive event. But in reality, they're more like dance partners and they're trying to keep each other very safe. And then, of course, the yeah. blending of reality and fiction, what happens behind the scenes, backstage stuff as the business got exposed, as it's called. You know, we all thought it was fake. Well, the business got exposed in the late 90s and the emergence of the Internet. So now we know the, we know what's going on behind the curtain. But you know what? What's going on behind the curtain is also pretty interesting and makes its way onto the TV screen. So I, it's it's a 360 view of, of, of a genre that I, you, you get into you get in very few things. I, I well, but story, you, you just had it right there. Story is what, you know, helps with music too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Sorry, I, James, I felt, what were you saying, bro? I, I, always felt, I always felt like, like I said, it was like a male soap opera. It was like a cool, like, kind of like uh, <laughs> manly soap opera that I could watch with your friends in high school. Yeah. And then, like, you know, you would hang out and then you would talk about, like, oh, shoot, did, did you see what happened with Stone Cold? And like I said, there's these catchphrases too, you know. So pure entertainment value, man. So, but anyways, like I said, we're, let's let's move on because like <laughs> let's get off of that, please. Dude, I'm I sorry. Can talk about I wrestling all fucking. Clearly, you guys can music and wrestling <laughs> are like my Rick two Flair. things. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. At, at the end of the, this is how our podcast goes, man. I mean, we pretty much just shoot the shit. But I want to actually get, introduce uh, my co-host. Uh, his name's Teacher Keith. Basically, uh, he's a well-known street artist in Los Angeles. I mean. You'll see his work uh, all around town, basically. I mean, I've traveled with this man uh, internationally to kind of do uh, art. And uh, just, you know, he's really been uh, kind of a huge influence in my life because how we met actually was I was always DJing and he actually asked me to uh, DJ his uh, art shows. And then so that's how we became friends. And um, through there, uh, like I said, we started I told him, I said, you know what, this is a very secretive community. Like, it would be awesome to have a podcast and have dialogue between uh, street artists because that's kind of what's going on in the street, actually. Sometimes they're interacting with each other uh, through art. So, uh, you know, five years later, we actually, you know, just celebrated our five-year anniversary. And, uh, you know, oh, hopefully we, we continue congrats. to, uh, uh, you know, do and you, much. The reason why we kind of chatted up is because we want to give people kind of an idea of what it's like to hang out with this person, not just, you know, what they're about. You know, we want to kind of give them like, you know, would you really want to hang out with this person? Is, you know, do you understand them or, you know, just a better idea of how they come up with what they come up with. Oh, yeah. Um, so you grew up in the Bay Area and I saw somewhere that you started um, drumming. Mm -hmm. Drumming was like your first thing mm -hmm. and you were self-taught. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, I mean, yeah, how do you self-teach uh, well, drumming? First, uh, give, give me a top three drummers can you do that hasham or is oh that... dude well my favorite drummers are mostly be guy and this kind of goes to your question actually uh 
my favorite drummers aren't going to be household names. My favorite drummers are always guys that were in really dope bands, but more necessarily like famous drummers. So I might give you the name Martin Lopez, formerly of Opeth. You might be like, who the hell is that? Uh, and just the, the for most of the contextual reasons of, you know, the way he brought his Latin flair to like death metal. I was like, wow, that is a very unique singular voice behind an instrument. Of course, like I listened to Motley Crue growing up. So Tom Lee's always going to have an influence from like the power heaviness. Same thing with Lars Ulrich from, from Metallica. Josh Fries is another name is, is more drummer. He just, he's the one that just got uh, picked up by the Foo Fighters to replace Taylor, the late Taylor Hawkins. Wow, um, dude, there are way too many like drummers I'm influenced by, but it's not necessarily like the drummers as the personalities. It's mostly just drummers and bands I really like. Scott Rockenfield of Van Queensryche is another humongous influence of mine. Uh, so and Sean all these guys, metal. I, I, and yeah, and, like rock I, I metal. Give it people yeah. the idea, kind of the taste that. Uh, uh, Neil Peart. Yeah. You ever hear that name? Yeah, of course. See, look, I mean, I love all <laughs> I love the, the bottoms. You name it. I love all those dudes. I think the reason why. I appreciate and try to emulate those guys is because the way I learned to play drums was playing to their records. And I just really fell in love with their with their writing as drummers, particularly not not so much the chops, just the way they really play to the song. I really that's kind of always what I've always prided myself as a drummer, frankly, even to this day is that I'm not the flashiest. I don't have the most chops. I'm not like the, the guy spitting and twirling his sticks. I think it kind of speaks to my personality as someone who likes to support people in general. I kind of built a career on supporting people. That's kind of been my role as the drummer. I'm the guy in the back. I'm kind of holding it all together. I'm holding it down. I'll let you know when I want to be seen. You know, I'll do it all over here. But at the, mo the most part, I'm just, I'm listening to everyone and I'm just trying to keep the thing afloat. You, got, you have like a Mark Rober vibe to you. Who's Mark Word. Rober? You know, Mar Sorry. What did you say? I I don't know who Mark Rober. Mark Rober. Look it up afterwards. We don't, I, I don't I want to go off on another. Oh, team. Hold on. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna ask real quick. Hold on. Who's uh, uh? Do you know who Sib Hashan is? Uh, Sib uh, Hashan. Yeah, no. he's okay. So this is my favorite drummer. Okay, it's because he's the drummer for Boston, and because he has one of the best afros in the game, basically. Oh you, you know wow. what I mean? So you know the band Boston, more than a feeling. You, you know all those peace of yeah, mind of course, and things of like that. Yeah. So I'm I'm just saying, like I always love drummers for their person. I'm per not really a drummer per se. I'm a more of a DJ, and like uh, you know, when I played uh, instruments, I always played the guitar. So uh, like I honestly, I didn't really get into drumming until I started music production just kind of understanding the intricacies of uh you know rhythm and uh groove and all, all those kind of things so uh so anyways man um i just kind of Hisham, how old were you when you got your first drum set first drum set like an actual real drum set i must have been 11 or so but before then i was always i made my own little makeshift i wouldn't call them kits but my makeshift assemblies of uh the, the typical uh Crayola pencil boxes, shoe boxes worked really well for, for kick drums. Uh, a lot of light bulbs, which I had to be very careful with until I really wanted to wow. quote unquote crash them. Um, I didn't do the pots and pans as everyone kind of talks about. I did pillows, uh, let's see, pillows, shoe boxes, and Crayola buckets. boxes was my was my main thing. No, not even buckets. No, just okay. whatever I had around. And you answered the you answered the next question I was going to ask you was you know before you got your first drum set, perfect man. And so you was it? Uh, did your parents get this drum set? Did you get it yourself, or my? I was very lucky in that I had parents. I was I'm the youngest of three. Uh, I was very lucky to have parents that were <laughs> very hands off. I don't know if it was by design, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> very hands off. Very much like you just go in your 
and do whatever you want to do. And my dad, my dad was uh, was always, you know, a great provider. Uh, not necessarily like what you'd call like a father figure that would connect with you or that kind of stuff. He's more like, Is you he... want the thing? Here's the thing. That's how I show my love. I mean, I'm sure that's how he got love too. Are your parents uh, but... Hisham, like uh, my Yeah, parents? yeah, immigrant parents. Okay. Yeah, okay. We're, we're, we're Palestinian. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm first gen. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Speak, wow. Speak, okay. yeah. It was just a lot of nagging. A lot of na And I think a lot, of, a lot of showing them that like, I'm clearly starting to destroy things. Like I like this thing. And then the first drum set I got was very much like a mall drum set, like from a mall toy base. One step above toy, one step below actual musical instrument. And I beat the shit out of that thing. Um, but, <laughs> but, but my dad hooked it up. I'll never forget that that day. All to this day burned in my brain. Like the day my brother looked come came to me. He's like, You might want to come to the, the front yard real quick. And my Backed it up, backed up his van, and I couldn't fucking believe it. And another reason why I think he got it actually, in retrospect, is that we were at a, uh, we're at the mall uh, where he he would he's a, he's a, a pipe smoker, so he would always get his tobacco there. And then he just kind of let me run off. Oh, those are the days, man, when your parents just let you fuck off and run around the mall and come back in an hour, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. He found me at the music store, and I already knew how to play the drum kit. Number one, obviously, because I was playing around, but I just I mentally did it. And these days, we would call it visualization. Obviously, no one taught that to like a 10 year old, uh, but just, you know, dreaming of just like, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if I just did that, that. And then I remember when I played the kit in front of the shop owners, they were like, he does he already take lessons? And I was like, no, I don't even know how he knows how to play this thing. Just legit, just kind of already kind of visualized it and taught myself through just mental imagery. Have you wow, seen the new awesome, documentary, dude. Let There Be Drums? I, I think I just saw that, actually. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was interesting because it was like, the uh, son of a drummer, he was like making it. I can't remember which drummer it was, but, you know, he was he wasn't a drummer himself. He was more into film and he was asking he was trying to kind of like connect with his father. That's why he made this documentary. And the last part of it, it said that he realized that drummers are just born that way. It's not really so so many drummers that are, uh, you, you know, you can learn to drum, but most drummers are kind of like they come out of the womb, like just having that rhythm. Did you do you feel like you know, as a kid, kind of, you already had, like I said, you were already making drumming on your own pillows and shoe boxes and things like that. Dude, before drumming, you know what I was doing? I was literally head banging. I was banging my head on, on pillows. Uh, I can tell you the progression, you guys. I remember, it, again, youngest of three. Um, I was I was an accident, so I, I had a bit of a gap. Uh, but I remember I would beg, beg my older siblings who had, I thought at the time, great musical taste, uh, just begging for their Walkman, the cassette Walkman, you know, like, are, oh, you yes. with, are you done with the Black Album? Thanks. You know, and I would just listen to it full blast, like as I'm going to sleep. And yeah. I would just head bang. And I, I did that for a long time, including with like CD players as I got my own music uh, library. And I'll never forget one time, I think my mom came in to check on me like one night before, like a school night. And she freaked out. She was like, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Good. I'm just, I'm just head banging. And I think that kind of <laughs> developed a sense of like, I did every single night. You know, I think that may have yeah. developed the rhythm a little mm, bit. Mm, I, see, uh, I see. And then, yeah, I don't know. Drums just look the most visceral. I never took lessons. I mean, I just, yeah, to answer your question from the, the get-go, just listening and wanting to have fun and playing along. Nice. I mean, for me, honestly, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it was just like, it, it took me a really, really long time to really appreciate drumming. Like, you know what I mean? Like, for example, I was a huge... Be 
Beatles fan, and uh, you know everybody always jokes that like, oh uh, yeah, Ringo was just the, the lucky guy that that got in the band, right? When I, when I was a kid, they would always joke that. But uh, in reality, I mean, he was already had his own career going. He was like one of the most popular ones. He, you know what I mean? So it's like I said, drums are one of those things that get overlooked a lot of times, and I didn't really appreciate it until a lot mm. later on. And Ringo's another example of someone who plays to the song. He doesn't get a whole lot of like love, but dude, again, think of his parts. Just look at his parts. He's playing very few drums, right? Just very few drums. Just playing exactly. the part, and he and they're memorable. I mean, think of "Come Together." That loop, and then just a kick jump, boom, boom, for the verses. Are you kidding me? Like, but he knew, like, I, I, I know what to do. He was almost like a producer. The best drummers, there you go. That's kind of th something I've said in the past. The best drummers to me, my, excuse me, my favorite drummers, shouldn't say the best, my favorite drummers think like producers, I feel. Like, kind of like, they kind of already zoomed out a little bit and they're just kind of making the track to me. That like makes that. that makes sense. I like Dude, I, I always saw that, you know, a, a set of drums and just thought to myself, that is way too complicated for me. I'm, I'm partially dyslexic and I didn't know this at a young age, but. You know, I did, I played the trumpet in a marching band. That was only so I could go on a band trip once every other year to get away from my parents. Like yeah. how much effort, you know, it took to get that two days away from my parents. I look back, I'm like, that wasn't a good calculation, you know, but, you know, in the, in the band, you had these guys playing the drum and they're just playing one fucking drum, you yeah. know, and these guys are like, fuck, they, you know, having trouble with that. And I'm going, fuck, man, I know I, I can't do that because. You know, uh, these guys can barely do one, and I know that's fucking hard. So to have more than one in front of you, you know, oh, my God. How interesting. And, and... The trumpet, I would imagine, is way more challenging to pick up. I mean, to me, I mean, the way the way you're thinking was kind of how I was thinking instinctually of, like, notes, uh, scales, chords. Nah. Oh, I'm just going to play. Yeah, okay. I'm just going to literally play what feels right to this day. That is how I play. What wow. feels right. That, I, is, yeah, that sounds I simple. That does sound you know, simple. I don't know, man. I know I, I did one year of percussion class in high school because my freshman year, I wanted to join all the school bands obviously and i walked in definitely like with my cock out like what up i can play drums i got this and then the teacher's like great i'll play, play all of them yeah and then the teacher's like great play that he hands me a piece of paper i'm like ah oh, shit so i had to take one year of like learning how to read music which came with some basic music theory music history uh but by that point i was in the jazz band symphonic band uh, I was in my own black metal bands, death metal bands. And and I had actually, around high school, started getting uh, keyboards, key stations. Uh, I had a, I had a Yamaha PSR 1000. That was my, I don't, again, I, don't, I just got, like, I just thought, like, I really want a, a keyboard of some kind. Like, it was a full-on uh, key station. Yeah, and then I started, like, finger drumming too, on man. that thing a little okay. bit. And, yeah, I, it all kind of led to just drummer. production. I mean, he, he's he's a Excellent piano player, man. I, I've, I've seen uh, a lot Well, dude, a piano is just a bunch of drums that sound a little different, you know? <laughs> it's a yeah, percussive I, instrument. I, and I true. definitely play the piano like a drummer. And many piano players have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> See, for, for me, like, I don't know. Uh, I can play, I can barely play guitar. So that's two things at one time. You know, playing guitar and singing, I already, you know, that's a challenge for me. But drummers, I mean, they got to do four things at once. And then you watch oh, somebody like... You know, you know, watch that motherfucker from the Eagles or like Phil Collins, and they're singing while they're fucking playing drums. I'm just like, 
this motherfucker, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's Again, so dude, they have well, they have multiple personalities. It must be. Do you have do you uh you have a little multiple personality going on? I think so. I mean, I play keys, I play drums, I also have a whole like electronic thing kind of going on. I just recently discovered I can sing decently well, so I'm like oh, adding nice. that to production. You got a good voice, so it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, honestly, guys, I don't think it's really like you looking at the drummer. I, maybe it's the way I look at you with the trumpet of like how the fuck does he do memorize and hit all these chords and what not but like again to me playing drums i just i don't really think about what i'm doing it's just it's not four limbs it's just one kind of body and then i don't know it's like at this point it's programmed i don't know right <laughs> Can't really describe yeah, it absolutely it's instinctual by now yeah you know you know for me basically and that's to be honest that's why i started djing because i realized i i like this I can this I can do I can hit the fucking play button. <laughs> well, I I actually well, start. Also, I you start, have great taste in music. Is it, would you would you say what what what? Let you. me ask you. Let me flip the fucking like light back on you now, James. Like when it comes to DJing, like did you did you have bi a bigger urge to just share the music you like, or a bigger urge to just move a crowd and or like express yourself musically by <laughs> I guess pushing buttons? Yeah, you know. Okay, so here I'll tell you the story. Like for me. I was so into classic rock and just rock in general. And then during uh, my first introduction to kind of like the metal whole thing, because I didn't have older brothers that had good taste in music that came past me the uh, the death metal immediately. You know, for mm -hmm. me, <laughs> uh, Linkin Park was like a, a very introduction for me. And they actually had an Asian guy in there who was a DJ. Uh, his name is Joe Han, actually. Right. So from there, I was like already into hip hop because I just grew up in that era. You know, I'm a huge Tupac West Coast you know, hip hop kind of fan. And I was like, well, it's cool. I like this kind of hip hop scratching thing. And uh, there's an Asian guy in there. And that's the first fucking guy since except for James Eha from uh, from Smashing Pumpkins that I've seen it doing music, basically. So like I, I kind of became obsessed with what the fuck are DJs doing? You, you know what I mean? Mm. So, I mean, I collected records and, you know, I love my classic rock. I love my hip hop. So I it's all kind of this just one very expensive hobby. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So um, from there, when I was in college, I started to, uh, you know, just I joined a fraternity because this guy told me he would teach me how to fucking DJ, basically. Uh, my older my older fraternity brothers were uh, roommates with Steve Aoki, actually. He went to UC Santa Barbara. Um, I mean, they actually so they never taught me how to DJ, but the thing is, they let me use their turntables at least. You, you oh, know what God. I mean? So, so <laughs> I, from there, I kind of just picked it up myself, and then uh, I kind of uh, you know from the just the DJ culture, I fell in love with the rave scene as well too. And um, you know, I, I DJed hip hop and did hip hop stuff for many years, but I feel like I'm a little old for that scene now. And uh, um, I just don't enjoy the production aspect as much as you I. You feel old, but you don't look old, dude. No, dude, you fucker. don't. You you fucking that, fooled I mean, me. The fucker. first time I did a video call with him. Excuse me, what? You're not like 28. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I, exactly. You know, I, I always say I smoke a lot of weed and I don't have kids, so uh, you know, I try to keep it just like stress free. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, and you got that. You got that. The uh, the Asian skin. What is it? The Asian don't raisin or something Asian like that. Asian don't raisin, man. <laughs> that, that, yeah. You know, he's the one that said it. He said, "I'm now. I'm gonna get you know great. They're gonna no, it's look cool. at this I, ten I, years I, from now. They're gonna go. He said Asian. You know, gonna call me out for <laughs> shit. Now let, let's get. Oh, you know what? Here's um, credit. <laughs> Yeah, Hisham, what uh, what kind of music were your siblings uh, listening to? Uh, my older, exposing to? Yeah, my older brother was definitely more into the like '90s and '80s rock. Like I said, Motley Crue, Poison, like Queensrÿche, Metallica. Uh, I from there, I kind of found my way to like 
uh, the grunge stuff. And when I was younger, like like bands like Corn, Limp Bizkit, obviously were popular. Like got into that. I was a huge Marilyn Manson fan, massive Marilyn Ooh, Manson wow. fan. At oh, surprising. Time. Okay. I, I went to Catholic school, and I was the only one that was not like Catholic. And uh, there's people <laughs> there that weren't like, weren't exactly white, but like, look, I was going to school with like Stevens, Courtney's, Chris's, and Dan's. And <laughs> you know not catholic so i definitely look i was picked on a lot uh which explains why I, I gravitated towards music because music was the first thing that gave me external validation amongst those very mean mean elementary school kids because they couldn't take that away from me they, yeah. it, 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 it all went down yeah. it all went down at an assembly when some taiko drummers came to school i remember i remember all this shit uh, and they uh, were giving a presentation and they asked the whole school uh, like, who wants to come up and play the drums? And I feel like the oh whole point, pointed at me. I was like, holy shit. You guys make fun of my name, my background, my ethnicity. I was fat, my unibrow, all these things. <laughs> but, but you acknowledge that I'm good at drums. And I think that's why I, I was like, I think this music thing is the thing for me. Not to mention, as I got older, <laughs> I just started meeting so many awesome people through music. And music was always a through line. I got really into skateboarding, uh, end of elementary hmm. school and, and, and all through high school and heavily into college. And, and skateboarding is how I found hip hop, actually. Hmm. Um, it was my, actually, my sister's boy boyfriend at the time introduced me to Talib Kweli and mm. that was the first time I was like okay so there's wow. rap and then there's, there's hip-hop okay not to mention again Talib Kweli Hisham Dahoud all right <laughs> I can do something with this guy like I can relate to him a little mm. bit you know I see, I see. and I got really into that style of hip-hop particularly yeah Common, Most Def, Talib Kweli oh man underground like you know it's weird that underground hip-hop kind wait, of wait 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 I'm sorry um Dahoud what kind of like you said you skateboarded right mm-hmm um, what kind of tricks were you doing with your skateboard at that street time? skating? A lot of street skating, ledges. I didn't do rails. I was not brave enough. Um, I got to the point where I considered myself pretty good. I mean, I, I had 360 flips on lock. I could I did some switch. Oh shit! Stuff, flips in and out of stuff. Uh, never had the bravery wow. to really uh do the big things. I, I think also I didn't want to get hurt because every time I got hurt, I couldn't play drums. So that kind of went. Uh, okay, so you yeah. can do like a kickflip. Yeah, like all day. <laughs> wow, that's that, I can't do. I, My son's really getting into that, you know, and and uh, it's uh, he's not as good as he wants to be, you know. So he gets kind of angry and upset with it and everything. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's one of those things where um, it's tough, man, to do that with the the. And so now that you're telling me you're good with good with a skateboard, that makes sense. <clears throat> to be able to be good at skateboarding, that's going to help you with your drumming. Well, skateboarding is, I think skateboarding is what taught me what passion really is. Before skateboarding, I was, I mean, music, I never was like a little kid, like, this is what I'm going to do forever. It was just like, no, this is kind of what I do. I, it's what I do with my friends, and I, I love to do it. Uh, and then when I went to college in particular, and I was very alone, uh, I <laughs> only had my skateboard, really. And I just, I kind of used it as a big beacon, a big signal. Uh, I would wear skate shirts, but very niche ones. So I was always trying to attract. <laughs> I was always trying to attract like the heads, you know, like the real heads. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I met a lot of great people. And I think skateboarding also taught me. Like I've always thought there was like the there's like three kind of pillars or so to skateboarding. How you have to have the creative eye, like as in you have to see a piece of just pedestrian, you know, your your pedestrian environment, whether it's a ledge, a rail, a stair, something. That's why I don't really skate parks I have a weird relationship with but yeah you have to have an eye to take something in the real world and see something possible the second 
second step is to have the physical capability. Like, I mean, I was training at one point, like a fucking pro skater. Like I, I would go to tennis courts and just session, just like three, like three sushi wow. clip, do it again, do it again, do it again, do five in a row, do six in a row, whatever it might be. Wow. Um, and then you got to have the bravery to commit. Like, Cause at a certain point when you're doing a trick, whether it's a flip trick or a grind, there is a point of no return where if you, if you commit here, you'll get through. If you bail, you fucked up. So all those three, yeah, that the have see something, have a vision, get prepared for it physically somehow, and then commit to that thing and use that to attract and find other people. And I think I carried all that shit into music, frankly. Oh, totally, man. That's I what mean. I mean. That's exactly what I mean. Well, okay. Before we get away from the topic, I'm going to make my son listen to this this episode because what you just said there is <clears throat> is going to help him. Yeah, I, I said he's not as good as he wants to be, but dude, that dude is freaking me out with some of the stuff he can do now. Um, you know, after seeing where he came from and then how much effort he's putting into it, like, dude. Actually, I'm whoa. curious. How old is he? He's 12. Okay. Uh, does he use social media? <sighs> yeah. That's why, dude. <laughs> That's why. Dude, growing up, uh, when I was skating, I had skate videos that you could only access from skate shops. And I would just have the pros. And I'd be like, well, I'm not going to feel too bad if, like, I can't do what the pros are doing. Who cares? And, of course, you'd have, like, the local kids at the skate park that you would have a basis for comparison for. But when you're on social media, like, everyone's better than you. And then that's all you use it to compare yourself to as opposed to just hanging with your boys and, like, getting into trouble and dicking around and getting – like getting on the bus illegally and then like getting Wendy's and just like fucking like that's what the cult the culture has changed by the way the culture has completely changed to this like competitive I mean skateboarding is in the Olympics now like what are you kidding me like it's know, completely man. changed it's I don't awesome. know if I would get into it now actually I, it always was meant to be for the alternative the individual you know the thing that was like counterculture and now it's well it's just another subculture Mm, yeah. yeah that's one of the things that my son says too he's like i want to be a pro skater i want to be a pro skater i said you know what son you know because you want to get a sponsor you want to make money that way i'm like look um try looking at it a different way okay um when people ask you say i love skateboarding i just i love the skateboard and that's it that's a great way to you put know? it i mean not to mention like a short shelf life i mean the average skateboarding career professionally <sighs> My God. Yeah, I see. I, I told him that first, you know, and and, and uh, his mom was telling me, you know, you got you got him kind of bummed out by the way you told him because I said, look, dude, you want to be a pro? Okay. So what happens if you get hurt? Huh? What happens with the money then? You're not going to be making any money if you get hurt, you know? And you, how many guys do you know that skateboard that actually make it pro? You know? So I, I hit him with the hard reality <laughs> the funniest first, thing you is, know? It, it was tough, but... Uh, he's talking... His parents are artists, okay? <laughs> Is an artist and a filmmaker are our parents, and you're you're saying this. I'm just saying as a as a person who doesn't have kids, I'm gonna be like, what about you, Dad? You're an artist. You, you know what I mean? You're you're surviving. How funny! <laughs> I, if it were me, obviously I have a background in, in in the activity. I don't know. I'd look at him. It felt that was genuinely my kid. Uh, removing the context of trying to protect and nurture your children, obviously. Uh, but I'd be like, all right, give me three ollies in a row. Word. All right, cool. Give me four kickflips. That's it? Just two in a row? Get the fuck back training. I don't, come on. You going to be pro? Let's see it. Let's see it. I'll give you a shot, but I ain't seeing it here. And just I would be brutal, <laughs> brutally honest like that. Like, do you have That's the aptitude? Do you have the natural talent? I don't know. Go on. Let's see it. Also, okay. yeah, what's your plan? Go ahead. Come back to me with a plan. I want to hear a plan. It was yeah. that with baseball, too. You know, he wanted to, he wanted to be a pitcher. And um, mm. he could throw the ball fast, 
and every once in a while he could throw a strike. But I actually yeah. pitched when I was about his age, and I was I was actually a really good pitcher. Um, yeah. Hitting, I sucked. You know, once you get to where the it's no longer the coach, you know, just pitching the ball so you can hit it. It's like kids trying to zing it past you or whatever. Yep. I get hit a couple of times. Like, nah, I, baseball out for me. Um, but I, when I was trying to get him to understand the pitching thing, I was like, okay, Lennox, I'm going to have you throw me 20 pitches, okay? I'm going to see how many of them are strikes, okay? And I was like three or four, maybe sometimes five out of that 20. I'm like, okay, look, a pitcher can hit at least 16 or 17 of those as strikes, okay? At least, if not all 20 of them, perfect strikes. So, you know, yeah, you guys are brutal. try something else. Dude, I would throw back you're to be like, so good at something else, you know. I would throw back to him, like, so why do you want to be a pro? Do you just want to skateboard all day? You can do that now. I mean, go ahead. Like, do you hang out with <laughs> like enjoy it now? You're doing it. Stop thinking about the future. Like, you're doing do it now. Just do it now. Have fun. Do it right now. You know, it, that's it, a good idea. True. I mean, at, at once I think you know, for me growing up uh, from an Asian household, like those all these things are just hobbies. You know, be having a creative. <laughs> it's just like you know get your accounting degree first <laughs> get you that job that's going to be making money to pay the bills and everything right and to be yeah and to be honest like hey okay so i did all those things and here i am now still wanting to do it so to be honest this is why i'm taking to shams class and uh uh and and kind of like building my network slowly because you know frankly it's like i followed oh dude hisham you should have seen this guy when i found him you know what i mean like why he was oh so corporate so corporate you know he calls him say he was a pharmaceutical rep you know yeah i knew that a drug dealer okay totally. like you know how it depends on how you want to look at it right yeah, yeah. i but, read between the lines <laughs> and it, was he was he making music no you know i think he does a little bit of yeah okay he did some dj you know that was that's cool you know um but then you know these days you know i'm like dude who the fuck is this guy you just you you actually, the music I just listened to, you, wow. Okay. And like, you know, the things that he's getting involved with, you know, it's, uh, the pandemic gave us time, man. You, you know what I mean? Totally. It was like, Hey, normally I had to travel a lot for my work and, uh, I was able to take a, you know, mentorship basically. And like get, get around people who are really, really serious and have the same goals as me because, uh, you know, if you're just wandering around in Clubland and Raveland, you're just meeting a bunch of hobbyists too, and those are true hobbyists. And I, I seem to be the only person that was bothered by uh, <laughs> calling my music a hobby. <laughs> and everybody mm, relatable. Else, everybody else was very okay with that. You, you know what I mean? And uh, like, oh, it's cool you do that. So, what do you do for real work? <laughs> you know, that, at the end, that right there, that notion of it bothers me to call it a hobby, that instantly tells me you're cut from the from a different cloth. There's right out the gate from your relationship to the activity. You're cut from a very different cloth. Thanks. I mean, I mean, uh, so, you know, I've, I've kind of just and this man right here has uh, really inspired me, too, because I, I've just seen him just be an artist and put stuff in the street nonstop for over a decade already since, uh, you know, I'm just like he taught me what being an artist really, really, uh, you know, is kind of entails. And to be honest, a lot of times it's thankless uh, a lot of times. Right. And, uh, uh, these days, dude, if you're going to be a professional artist or musician, you have to love doing it. You know, it's not, you don't want to do it to make money. You don't want to do it to be famous because you're going to get, you you know, it's not, it's not going to happen. There's easier ways. You're going to either, you're going to run out of patience. You're going to run out of patience. You're going to get bummed out because, you know, no one's buying your stuff or something like that. And then you're going to go move to something else. But those of us who are 
true musicians or true artists who just really can't do anything else um you know the, that's who's gonna who's gonna rise to the you Curious, know have, have you re relayed that back to your son about the whole you know skateboarding thing i mean for instance you're spot on by the way um that you will absolutely rot your relationship to to that activity if you start relying on it for other things but other things at that like did you ever realize you relay that to your son of like hey i do technically what i love but let me tell you about my relationship to it now you know actually um when i reiterate it right broken his spirit <laughs> his mom's like <laughs> really bummed now you gotta you gotta just you know no and i'm i did i did you know i was like look just tell peter something that you love you really love doing it you know and then someday if it turns into something then you know am i saying with my with my daughter in art she came up to me one day and she says, Dad, I want to be an artist. I was like, nope. No, 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 no. Because, dude, it was it was tough for me. And it is still tough for me at times, you know. And I wouldn't want her to have to go through some of the bullshit that I went through, you know. And people are like, oh, you know, we'll just have an artist do it, you know. And, and uh, yeah. you know, he doesn't need money. He's an artist, you know. And I just, <laughs> oh, and all the deals that I got screwed on and everything. Yeah, I yeah. Want her to do I, that. Think, I think we just but broke. when I read <laughs> When I reiterated with her after my her mom told me the same thing, I was like, you know, the kid's really bummed out. I kind of, you know, get him with reality, like with a fucking baseball bat, you know. Um, I said, look, sweetie, just look at it this way. If someone asks you what you're going to be, say, you know what? I really love art. So probably something to do with art. Yep, yep. I think and, we're uh, walking towards very interesting territory now in this conversation of this, you know, assuming the identity, bestowing the identity, like your son, I want to be a pro skateboarder, completely glossing over the doing, right? right. How about just, I want to skateboard. And when you become the thing, it usually means because you've been recognized externally as the thing. And usually at that point, it's because you've stood out somehow, you've excelled somehow. So That's becoming simple. the professional in that regard from the, the context of this conversation means that there's a demand. People want to see you skateboard because they like you the way you skateboard because you've been skating so well this whole time. People want to hear you're your skating music. so well that you don't have to self-promote on your social media. You know what I'm saying? Look at me. Look what I just did. You know, as other people are going to be posting things of you. Well, that's always the goal. Word of mouth is always the best form of marketing, hands down, no matter what. But I think, yeah, the, the point, I guess, of, of of this kind of rounding out of this conversation here is that we always forget, I, myself included, we've always kind of forgotten about, like, the doing that leads to the being, like, becoming, being the thing. Like, dude, just fucking do the thing and shut up. Just just do the thing. And if you become good enough, exactly. you'll be recognized for it. And then, poof, you are the thing. But in the meantime, just do it <laughs> and get really singular and really unique at what you're doing. Yeah, and quit quit reevaluating every single fucking day. <laughs> well, also, also, where am I at today with my goal? You know, it's like uh... mm -hmm. one of the things that Teach taught me uh, about myself actually is about finish line syndrome, and especially if you're a corporate person or you're used to people tracking your progress in a certain way, you kind of tend to just be like, "Hey, I'm going to do something. Okay, I finished it. Now what?" You know, you're not enjoying so much of the journey, which is basically as an artist, you're literally coming to the table every single day to work on your craft. And there is no finish line. Guess what? Artists don't get to retire. We've talked about this so many times. It's because you are the artist and you just continue to live and, you know, work on your. Oh, art. yeah. Well, two things. That's the first that. thing I said to my daughter. No, you can't be an artist. You know why, sweetie? Because you never get to retire. Well, two, two things on that. One of my biggest heroes in life is George Carlin. 
I've again, my, oh, yeah. my, my parents were again, they were they they didn't have the closest eye as to what I was consuming. Uh, and, and again, immigrant parents, they're just like, oh, a VHS. There you go. You know, <laughs> um, I must have been like, dude, nine. Let's see. What, how old are you in, when you're in the fourth, fifth grade? Yeah. Like what? Ten? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jamming in New York. The Carlin stand up to this day. I've committed that whole thing to memory, to memory. I've been, I've recited wow. it to like my friends and whatnot. Uh, he is a hero of mine, wow. legitimate hero. If, and when, you know, I, I, I meet the maker and they say, Hey, like the queue's full right now, but you can have dinner with anyone up here. You want, I'm like, George Carlin, George Carlin, mom, dad, I love you. <laughs> see, you in a, see you in a second. George Carlin, George Carlin. Agreed. And Agreed. one thing that wow. he okay. said uh, in, in an interview that I've, I've watched, I think every video on YouTube of George Carlin, every single one. Uh, one thing I've been, he down, said, I've been down that rabbit hole. I've one thing he said that always stood out to me is that you know the artist's job is to be en route. That's it. We are supposed to be going somewhere, and I've always added one layer to that from a marketing standpoint. Anyway, of like, well, that's why we follow you because you're going somewhere. That's it. In terms of the retirement thing, mm. like that's it. Like, and someone asked George in an interview, I think, on that note of like, like when are you gonna hang it up? When are you gonna retire? I was like, my brain's working. I'm still making observations. I'm still writing stuff. I'm. I'm just going. I'm gonna go till I until I don't go anymore. Because this is kind of like who he is. And then James, on your point of like you know the the no finish line thing. Well, that's just a victim of conditioning. I think from the systems that we've had with education, in particular, first grade done, second grade done, <laughs> homework test grade, good job. I mean, we this has been talked about to death now about how the educational systems in this country in particular just prep you for the assembly line, the corporate ladder and whatnot, completely voiding you of any kind of, in, you know, in, intelligent and um, individual thinking and forming your own ideas and philosophies. You're not taught to question things, which is interesting because, you know, how do you tell a kid don't, you know, how do you tell a, a kid to question authority when you are an authority figure yourself? <laughs> it's kind of, <laughs> kind, of, kind of a weird thing to tell a kid. Um, but again, it's you. It's quite literally falling in line, and that's where we've landed now. And the, I think the challenge for many younger creatives that aren't externally driven to be famous or influencers, whatever it might be, is to remind yourself that it's okay to break from that pattern. But if you're going to do it, the odds are kind of against you in terms of infrastructure, just completely. Like it's so much easier to make a resume, to apply for a job, to get the job, to work your way up. It's, oh, yeah. it's so much easier. I mean, I was, I was on the, as part of my artist, me being an artist, I was on the phone with a fucking franchise tax board for three hours today, trying to sort some shit out. Like that's part of being uh. a business owner. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, these are the, it's so much harder <laughs> from like a day-to-day -day standpoint, but like you have to learn how to break free from that inertia, that momentum that's just swallowing you down that path. Also, it's just like I got a question for you. I'm um, sorry, James. No, go ahead. Um, so you're doing you're doing teaching as well, um, Hisham. Um, when did you get started doing that? Uh, let's see. I was the recipient of very very good academic uh, environments in the music business. I again, I was a drummer, but I also wanted to not be naive, so I took some music business classes and I fell into marketing. Actually, I fell into music marketing. I started managing artist MySpace pages back in like 2009, 2010. Uh, the first wow. artist was DJ Shadow, an artist that I was a huge fan of at that time that I discovered through skateboarding. Um, managed my space page, built a company, got involved in heavily into digital marketing, into what we now call social media marketing today. Uh, but I think around – we sold the company to – well, Universal Music bought the company, and I left shortly after in 2016. I never wanted to be at a, at a major label. I tried for six weeks, and I just stopped showing up, uh, and I walked away. <laughs> 
and around that time, I was kind of like searching for a spark, searching for something new, I guess. And I just remember I was always doing like guest lectures and stuff, uh, particularly even when I was really younger, because no one really knew how to use Twitter, how to use Facebook, even how to use Instagram. So I was giving all these guest lectures and I just really enjoyed that classroom environment. And I just wanted to kind of put myself back in there. And I had a few, again, little like one-off stints. And then 2000, I think 17, it was, I started teaching at Icon Collective. Um, very adjunct. I literally taught, I think like two classes per week uh, because I was very busy with my actual marketing clients and making music myself. Uh, and just so happened that a lot of my roster at that time in those days were was heavily electronic. And a lot of the student body were fans of a lot of my roster. So while I would stick to the curriculum a little bit, um, they just wanted to know what I did that day or that week. And what, so I would, I would pull up press releases. I'd pull up emails. I mean, I would just, I would what, talk. What is Icon, what is Icon Collective? Is that like an actual school where uh, the, the music students would come school. in and everything? It's a music, okay. pro it's a, it's a music production school uh, here in uh, LA. And uh, at the time, especially then, it skewed electronic, a lot of dubstep, you know, dance music producers. It's broadened out a little bit these days. But yeah, it's a very renowned, uh, well-known music production school. About how many students would you say? Uh... Oh, I don't know. I don't know, but it's one of the, the, the top top music schools in L.A., especially for the dance genre. That I mean, uh, if, whenever I meet somebody that went to school for, you know, the type of music I made, they always say they went to Icon. So it's just like one yeah, of those. it's become very popular. Yeah. How, I, maybe I, like I, 400 people. I mean, it was only a year-long program, maybe a little less than that. That's it. It was only just one okay. year, very, very intensive one year. I taught music business. Uh, and at a certain point, they asked me to help them write the music business curriculum over there, at which point <laughs> being being a part time, you know, adjunct professor, I was like, um, I don't like making like, what was it, like 30 bucks an hour to write your curriculum. This feels kind of weird. Right. So, yeah. And so you can make so much more money. So I started my own little platform called Artist Pro, which was at the time. 12 weeks online. It was very music marketing focused, but also music entrepreneurial focus as well. Um, this was before the pandemic and I was doing Zoom classes. So when the pandemic came around and everyone rushed to Zoom and, and all these gurus popped up offering Zoom courses, I felt very icky. And I, and I, and I was bored. I, and I was bored. I, honestly, dude, I was bored just teaching. I, I left a lot of money on the table. I still have an entire curriculum with PDFs and documents. And maybe one day I'll reactivate that thing. But I don't know. I can't do something if I'm just really not into it because the heart won't be there. And if the heart ain't there, then it, I, it's not worth your money. <laughs> One way, I, I don't know how viable it is. Amen to that. that. That's honestly, that's how I felt like working, uh, uh, like I said, for a large pharmaceutical company, being like a corporate guy. Uh, you know, I always, for me, I always just oh, actually, I never told the story before. My, my manager that came on uh, in the pharmaceutical company, he ended up he telling me one day on a ride along. I used to play in a punk band, by the way. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, Anthony Kiedis used to come and watch us, and uh, he showed me some of his stuff. And I was like, you know, he's like, I used to play bass, and uh, I was like, not bad, you know. And then um, I was making these little street art stickers, actually, at the time, just for fun, and I just showed it to him. And he told me, he was like, hey, man, just let you know, like, I always regret, like, just, like, not doing music anymore, like, but, uh, you know, uh -huh. I have a family. And then, honestly, inside my heart, I felt like, you're such a bitch, dude. You quit. Like, <laughs> I, no, straight up, straight up. Dude, you never told me that story. I, 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 I wow. never, I, yeah, never came up really, to be honest. But like, I, I said, like, you know, at that point in time, I was just like, dude, I never want to be this fucking dude, man. I never want to be this fucking. Wow, dude, I can relate know? to that. Yeah, I remember when I <laughs> left the Bay Area. I was like living in Europe. I lived in Ibiza for three summers with different oh, DJs. No 
I was like, right. yeah, I was in Berlin a bunch. Like I was like, look at the early, the early days of Instagram back when yeah. I really cared about external validation, not as much <laughs> as these days, my grandma's on fire, dude. I was like taking photos in all the most exotic places. Like we were in private jets, tour buses. I was hanging out and doing other things with dancers. It was like an amazing time. <laughs> and whenever I would come back to the Bay area and have like meet someone for coffee or run into like local folks, like, Oh yeah. Like Chris, like, Hey man, like you still like playing bass? Nah, dude, fuck me. I nah, that never worked out for me, man. And you would just see people in the community, especially as you've been gone for a while, they just drop off. And I kind of had a feeling like you, maybe not like you're a bitch, but more like, huh. <laughs> but but more so, like could cut it, huh? Toxic, I had a lot of man, ego man. then. I had a you're lot of weak. ego. I had a lot I of ego. It's drive. It's drive. But yeah, okay? yeah. I like to look at it as drive. It Some people don't have drive. They don't want it enough. Whatever it is, they don't want it enough. If or you maybe it enough, you're gonna and you have the drive, you'll get it. Or maybe it was what you described earlier of like maybe what they what it was for them was really perhaps external validation, mm. the, the 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 externalities, right? The the byproducts right. of 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 it. Yes. Uh, and look, there's I've had ups and downs, and I've had a very long run, but like the high you get from from just those little milestones and like breaking through creative barriers and just breaking new ground and and i don't know man that's so addicting <laughs> and i just would rather hang out there frankly and honestly i, yeah, I just realized i agree I, I was saying in class this week in the in the chat room i was like dude i actually like had one of those i want to quit doing this shit this oh yeah weekend. you mentioned that yeah you know and and you know uh i've learned from uh this man right here, basically, like I said, it's just it's a feeling that it passes and, uh, you know, it just happens every now and then you're going to feel like you were talking about. Sometimes you just feel like you suck and that you're just not doing it right. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, it's I mean? weird, isn't it? Like the way that shit works this morning. I, I had that. I did. I wanted to quit again this morning. Like I got <laughs> off the phone with the fucking franchise tax board. And again, it's all about mindset, right? Like I was like, oh, my God, these guys took so long. I'm so behind. And I just got in here and I was like, okay, okay. I have to write the next song in the set. And I had like a core progression in mind. But I was like, oh my God, like I suck. I went away. <laughs> I, just, I started watching the movie Collateral. I don't know why, because I just like Michael Mann movies. And I just was like, I, don't know, I was like, look, I know I should be working on it, but fuck it. Like I have a flexible schedule, my own boss. Yeah, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm just going to watch a two hour movie right now. And I came uh, back. Can. <laughs> Yeah, I came back and I was like, all right, let's turn the fucking thing back on. And whatever reason, it came to me. And I was before this call, I was blasting these fucking monitors. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to get back to that after this podcast. Yes. <laughs> like I said, Dude, that's such the... a great explanation right there. Yeah, it's just one of those. Sometimes you just got to walk away for a minute and let it work itself out. And then you just got to walk yeah. away from it temporarily, yeah. of course. <laughs> Another thing yeah. for, for me is like uh, I feel like I build a nice stable life a lot of times and where it actually makes me feel like I can just quit this and just fucking not deal with this anymore at all. You, you know what I mean? But then like, what do you do when you enjoy life? You listen to music and do music stuff. So you're going to be back. So you might as well just get over this quitting shit. Like, yep. you, you know what I mean? So it's like this this cycle. I have to convince myself that it's just like. I know I'm going to be back. This is just dumb. This is going to pass. It's a shitty day for my psyche, for my artist stuff today. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, whenever I talk to other artists and especially like just having uh, Keith here being in a uh, different uh, dude. realm, basically, but also doing the artist thing, I can 
feel like, hey, it's not just, you know, me sucking. It's like, you know, it's natural for all artists to kind of feel this way, too. Dude, not long ago. Um, and see, good. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. There was like three or four things that just were just made the day just shitty and, you know, with artwork or something like that. And the fact that I can't remember what it was is good. That means I'm kind of out of my fucking mind. But dude, after like the third or yeah, after the third thing happened, I was just like, this is hilarious. I mean, you know, this is, this is, I'm, I feel like I'm being punked by my, like my circle of angels that like to follow me around and are, are amused by how they, you know, fuck with me and how I respond to it. You know, they're just, hmm. you know, this is hilarious, you know? And at that moment, I kind of stepped back and visualized them going, fuck fuck man we i thought we had him you know <laughs> we had those three bad things happen oh and he was right there he was right fucking there man we had him and now he just fuck her <laughs> that's kind of how it works i'd love to pose this to you guys actually uh in this kind of like a reflection of our current state of media um this is kind of what, what we all just described right now is why i just i'm not a fan of like blanket advice right like this is uh, why like I, yes. I i have my uh my my, my artist pro show i do every monday but as i mentioned in the, with the guys there i try not to like market it <laughs> which is so weird because i'm not a marketer and i'm just trying to really recreate like an organic truly unique and individual kind of experience where people will just come because they want to come not because they're marketed at but the, what you would just described earlier and kind of bring it all kind of full circle of like my room here. Right. Like I know what I need personally, personally, the same way that art is individually expressive. I, why would we assume that like the inputs are not also individual to that person? So I need to, I just realized, you know, in the process of me making my room, I need to recreate that, that, that little boy's room, which also from a, from a trauma standpoint, my, 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 uh, family we lost that house like we uh i remember i went to college and i came back and we were in a new place my parents pulled it up my sister bailed. i was like holy shit so i have a lot of trauma of that period of that that one little creative room poof disappeared and my mom recently only uncovered a photo a photo of that room took me back instantly like, oh my god that's wow. my drum set that's my friend's amp that he left there that's the bedroom there's the keyboard those are all the posters oh my god i remember that room so in a weird way i've recreated the little boy's room and then another reason that i kept making music like we talked about is the hang the people and if i only hang out with myself and make music I, I lose inspiration so i constantly have to go hang out with other musicians other artists are the artist bro show that i do every monday is kind of like a cheat code to that but mostly i got to hang out with like people and friends and there it is i know my unique two individual inputs it's got to be the the safe playful room that recreates that boyhood energy and uh, and other people just hanging out with other people those are what kind of keep me going. I can't tell you, here are the two things you need to, to yeah, up your yeah. creativity. So that's why I hate the Instagram game. That's why I don't post about like shit. Cause I don't know, man, I I think I've evolved out of that and I just do not want to contribute to the noise. So the question I have back to you guys is what do you make of this whole like social media? Here's how to be an artist Here's how to make it as an artist. Let me tell you the 10 tips to creativity. What do you make of this whole space? Well, well That's why know, I haven't done one of those yet. Yeah, you know, <laughs> first of all, like I, I really like hanging out with a, a street artist because they fascinated me because it was like these guys just put their work outside 
and just for people to see they don't they're they're not caring so much about how much money am i going to make off this image or and stuff like that and the rawness of it really inspired me actually just to understand some of them some of them you know some of them are you know they they do that because they think that eventually they're going to get into gallery and and, you know make better money that way you know but that's what i was talking about earlier when they realize that it isn't happening in the amount of time that they they're wanting it to happen off they go and i've seen that come and go in the 13 years that i've been doing stuff in the streets and you know it's uh you know it's kind of like a routine at this point you know but those of us that just are still around doing it and will probably do it until i can't move my body anymore yeah it's it's uh it's about just putting something out there knowing that one of the reasons why I started I started getting up in the streets is because I was sitting in my studio and looking at these pieces of artwork sitting in my studio and I couldn't find a gallery that was interested in putting them in their fucking gallery. And one of the things that I was always afraid of was just doing a bunch of artwork and it just sitting around and no one sees it. Hmm. So when I started doing street art, it was like, oh, how interesting yeah. street art in a gallery doesn't that kind of sound oxymoronic like shouldn't it be in the street in fact my college roommate was a street artist and i learned a lot about that world from him and i was a heavy skateboarder musician he was a street artist and i think we caught we caught, we shared a lot of common ground the idea especially for what he was doing i mean i would go with him on little missions in the middle of the night and go into tunnels and stuff nice. like that um we we almost got arrested in San Diego once that was fucking not fun on my birthday too um dude you're but, answering so many questions that i was going to ask you that's awesome <laughs> keep going please but uh i remember the parallels there of just like how you know skateboarding you kind of have to look at something in the street that wasn't meant to be and then you find a platform you know a canvas on it obviously it's very direct with with street art but more so you know (laughs) i feel like just like just like music there's so many genres of street art and and i feel like the ones that really impacted me are the ones that yeah they they literally make you re-examine the environment the pedestrian environment that you're in and they're trying to tell you something and i don't know what they i don't know what it is all the time but it's if it literally stops me in my tracks and it has me go what am i supposed huh it has me reevaluate the whole environment that's the dopest street art to me not so much like wow it's so lifelike <laughs> or or oh it's so <laughs> colorful but more like you took the street the in the context of this unique setting and you're making me reexamine my place in it that's fucking dope dude this what you just gave an awesome kind of like narrative about street art and obviously we usually mention cuz we have so many street artists on but you know hasham is no uh uh you know, beginner, <laughs> it seems to uh, introduction to street art, man. Yeah. I mean, for my college roommate, I also spend a lot of time, as mentioned to you, James, with the powwow Hawaii crew. I went down there uh, a couple times to do the school of music, but I hung out with all those like world famous street artists. So naturally through osmosis, I just kind of picked up on a lot of the conversations that we were having. And again, you just see all the individual footprints uh, or fingerprints rather behind all these different dudes. But yeah, like every, yeah, to me, the, the dopest street art, it stays in the streets. This is me. Uh, and it really has me like reconnect with the street itself. And it's trying to tell me something. And half the fun is like the decoding of it. Totally, you know? totally man. Teach what just, just right quick here. I, um, there's this piece that I'd been wanting to do. Um, and it took up, what was it about 11 months before I finally did it. Um, I kept passing by this, this house on the way, driving the kids to school and coming from school. 
and it was these this hand but only the fingers were coming out of the ground right and it just kind of gave me hope certain days it was like man did they how deep was that fucking hole they dug to put that <laughs> that guy in there with that just his finger you know i asked my kid and they thought it's hilarious right but um <clears throat> i just i kept thinking i'm gonna I want to do something with that you know i just i love it so much and so i mean i haven't even posted this and i did it what about uh All right, so it, it, yeah about a week ago show. or so <laughs> but um if you love something oh, yeah. put a ring on it that's fucking awesome dude um dude that's and awesome, uh, on the, it says uh, all you need is the right kind of love on the ring that's so dope is, uh, which is one of teaches uh, sayings, you, you, you know what I mean? Oh, and this is, uh, that's the blown up thing. That's a little dog in there. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. And then just- to Not draw a diamond, another, a dog. Just to draw like another parallel. Again, this is it's so funny. You saying gallery, that's how I feel about like skate park. It's like you defeat the ah, purpose. Okay. You know what I mean? Like it's almost mm. like the gallery is the skate park of to me of like the street art world. Like, if you think about it, when you're in the street, one other element I didn't mention about that whole process of physical, you know, creative and commitment, all the thing is that like, sometimes you're under the gun, you're, you might get kicked out, police, security, you might only have three chances at it before you get kicked out or something like that. Well, same thing with street art. It might be like three in the morning, four, you gotta be fucking fast. So the nature and the chaos of the the forbidden you're not supposed to do this here like the pressure the added pressure in a skate park that's fucking gone you know if in a proper gallery <laughs> that's fucking gone i think like the pressure is an element that's often not discussed in and i think in both activities and that's why and i can't hang out in that's a great that's a great point right there <laughs> that's a great point Dude, man, I think that's an awesome point to close it up, man. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the conversation Jeez, man. flew by, man. Like, honestly, I can't believe an hour just passed by. But, uh, uh, Hashem, I just wanted to, like I said, invite you to our little corner of the Internet, man. We've been doing this uh, for, for quite a while. You know, it's it was so awesome. Uh, shout out to Oliver Blue when uh, he recognized me. Dude, I learned a lot from you today. I really appreciate that. I'm going to make my son listen to this this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for all this that you put in there for him too, man. That's oh, awesome. My, my pleasure, dude. Yeah, it was fun hanging out in the corner. Let's do it again sometime. Hell yeah, man. Let's do it again. And uh, so you want to drop a, a social or for, for the class? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I don't know. Just It's at my name, at Hashem Dehud. If you want to follow my music, just look up Rizik, R-I-Z-I-K on Spotify and all the different places. Uh, look up Artist Pro on YouTube if you want to join our weekly streams every Monday. It's 11 o'clock Pacific time. You can go to theartistpro.com to submit your music. We listen to music. We hang out. We look at people's social medias. We just vibe, man. It's a good it's a good exercise just to kind of start your week with uh, a little dual music business and music creativity kind of push to get you through the week. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm there every Monday. That's I'm so in town, cool, man. And uh, I get a lot out of the class. So uh, you Yeah, know, shout you out know. to you. Every Monday you're there. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Like I said, I get a lot out of it. Thank you so much, Sean. And uh, follow us at PTTP Show. Leave us a review on iTunes. Love you guys. Take care and peace. Peace out.
Hey, what's up? It's James. And teacher. We just want to tell you a few ways that you can support us. Financially. That's right. You can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash show. Inside the Patreon, you can find a few different packages. You got everything from like a dollar all the way up to $5,000. You know, like if you're business, you want to do some advertising, you want to be a guest on the show or something like that. But you know what? We appreciate any way you guys would like to support us. This is just another way of doing it. Or access the shop at lastreart.gallery. Check out the shop as I'm a teacher's original artwork, some stickers, and also other merch coming at you from some of the guests on our show. Thank you very much. Peace. Peace.